And we're back in with another special crossover episode, this time talking with Jay Andrews of the First and Goal podcast. We get in on some Green Bay Packers discussions, some insights on Blake Martinez, as well as Kyle Fackrell, so we kind of get a sense of, of what we can look forward to this upcoming season, and, and just a really fun conversation overall. But before we can, let's drop that brass. a couple of different things obviously um from a giant standpoint we we took two we took two guys from you in free agency and i know you guys basically replaced them in a lot of ways but what you know martinez and fackrell what are we getting you know are we get are we getting are we getting a quality linebacker in martinez that can lead the defense is it are those numbers bloated when you talk about 140 to 150 tackles a year and you know or is he legitimately someone that maybe was being utilized a little bit differently for you and might be able to expand his role for us? Early on, he looked like a kid that was going to be able to make that jump, you know, the first two years. And you looked at the numbers, but the last two years, Packers fans have been out on Blake Martinez. Mm-hmm. You look at all those tackles and then the the stats, this is the problem with the stats. They look great. They make they just simply make him look like a solid player that's assignment sure. He doesn't make splash plays. He's not a sacker, not a pass rusher necessarily, not going to blow up tackles for loss and, and interceptions. But boy, he can he's a you know, he can be a, a solid guy. He's not going to miss, you know, the tackles and all this. Look at his tackle numbers. But then you got to look deeper into the stats and look at the average yards passed before Blake Martinez makes contact. And it's right around three. I think it's like 3.3 or something like that. Well, that's like the bottom end of a lower tier running back nowadays. Right. Like, and, and then you look at the difference. The only positive in Blake Martinez, and the only thing I could say the difference that you guys might be able to see and might cover it up, is the responsibilities on the front end of a 3-4 and its line and linebackers is different than what you guys play. And I always go back. To, to Ray Lewis they won the Super Bowl he had Tony Saragusa and and you know the other big boy in front of him and then they switched to three four and then for about three years I believe he was like 27 28 29 or 20 you know it was like in that range right when he turned 30 and if you don't remember people were telling Ray Lewis to quit didn't have it no more everybody was up in his face he couldn't make plays and you know what Ray did he finally got mad he said, you know what? You want me to be effective and be Ray Lewis again? Put some big-ass bodies in front of me, and we'll see if I can still play. And you know what they did with the ninth overall pick of that year's draft? Haloti Nada. Right. And what do we see? An advanced-age Ray Lewis back to the guy that said, everybody said didn't exist. So there is a case to be made that Blake doesn't have the skill set to be an impact player or, or that dominant at-the-line-of-scrimmage run guy you want him to be in a 3-4. But if you give him an extra big dude in front of him, he may be able to. I'm not going to say I'm not going to say he's going to jump into some playmaker that he's never been. But maybe you start to see the that shrinkage of contact pass line of scrimmage get into a more reasonable two yards or less. Because then right. we're talking about it's third and four 
instead of third and one, third and, and two. It makes a difference on the deployment of your third down defense. So there is a possibility that with a lot of stuff with football, Packer Nation can be absolutely right with the way we viewed him in our scheme and what we got out of him and be proven absolutely wrong overall about his use going forward on another team that plays in a 4-3. So honestly, I don't know what you guys are going to get. Because yeah. I'd be lying to you to say that I can guarantee you're going to get the same guy we saw because you guys play a 4-3. Well, the other problem here I have – well, go ahead. No, no, well, I was going to say because we have run – because we have switched over to that 3-4, you know, with Betcher, but – the, the issue is, is that Betcher, you know, what Betcher was doing for us obviously was a disaster. So it's hard to look at our talent that we had existing on the roster and say, well, you know, it's, it, even a DeAndre Baker, right? Move back up in the end of the first round last year. You draft him. He's a rookie. You know he's going to struggle. But then if you compound it by saying also, as he came out after the year and said, you know, yes, was I learning? Was I trying to learn? Of course. But also I was a little confused about what exactly we were doing. About Not, not like I couldn't understand it. I didn't know what we were actually trying to execute. So now you have a season worth of, of tape on some players that you're not sure if it was scheme that was messing them up or skill set. And now you think about whether or not are the Giants going to purely stick in the 3-4? Are they going to hybrid out a little bit more to get the most out of some of these players? And to your point, like for me, I look at – I mean, this is how bad it is for Giants fans. You talk about going from Alec Ogletree where you say, okay, we overpaid, we traded for him, had a bloated contract, he got old fast. You bring in a guy that's a few years younger – theoretically is a little more athletic, a little bit quicker, but unless to your point, unless Dexter Lawrence in the center of our line and Leonard Williams and, you know, Tomlinson are going to occupy some of those offensive linemen and create effective lanes for Martinez to come up and shrink that and shrink that area of attack when he's trying to stop in the run game, you know, it could end up being the same kind of product where his numbers are high from a tackle standpoint, but every other category flatlines. And I'd rather see it be that he's a guy that has closer to a hundred tackles and then you're seeing some of the other plays getting made on the edge and effectively funneling running run games back into the inside so the defensive line can do some work for you or affect I, 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 what, what's his skill set when it comes to pass coverage because my impression is that that's not an area that you can really rely on him at all either man to man he is a liability right. the problem with Blake is in his his zone coverage he's responsible sound but he doesn't have the, the secondary zone coverage responsibilities. Which, and what I mean by that is when I am playing like in a cover two and the middle linebacker has that little hook zone responsibility between five and 15 yards deep, and he, he gets there and he's there, but let's say the route concepts of the wide receivers and everybody don't have anybody in his path. Blake's problem was he won't find somebody to cover. And right. then he won't blitz. At that point, you got to make a decision because you're you are literally just being a log in the field. You're doing nothing. Yes, you're not you're not off your assignment. Nobody can to give you a minus for not being in the right spot. But there's there's secondary reactions on offensive plays as well as defensive coverages, and and those instincts he just lacks, and it shows up on film over and over again. Him standing there with nobody around him, and. And I think as a coach, you'd even rather just see him void that zone and attack the quarterback and, and or, you know, or just turn around and find somebody. And, and because really what he does doesn't it's not helping the defense at all. You're allowing the pass rush not to get there, giving the quarterback time and you're not covering anybody. So you're not affecting the quarterback in any way. You're just, again, a guy on the field. You're your 11th guy on a 10 man defense that's being deployed. 
Right. It, it, it either get either go downhill, pressure the quarterback to make a choice faster, or go end up end up double teaming somebody somewhere and at least effectively just pick somebody. Play. Right. And then that's a, that's the big pick the closest guy. Yeah, that's the big concern too because last year, so often what you saw, especially for the Giants in zone coverage defense, was guys that just kind of felt like, yeah, you're covering your area, but if you're not looking to adjust the placement on the field just enough so that you're within an arm's reach of a potential receiver or a running back coming out of the backfield, you end up with one or two bodies that effectively are, like you said, no man's land. And that's my concern about whether or not if it was just scheme, that's fine. But if it was personnel, I hope that these are, you know, minor upgrades for the Giants and it can get better. But everything that I've been kind of reading, and I think you're confirming it is maybe, like maybe there's this silver lining with Martinez, but also you could basically be looking at like a slightly younger, maybe a little bit quicker version of Alec Ogletree, which was just a problem for us anyway. So that's, you know, and that, and that arguably is our second biggest, you know, quote signing in free agency. When you talk about what what we, he was way overpaid. I, and Hey, I was a big Martinez fan. He's a great kid. You're getting up. And and I, I hate to do the, and I I always try to reiterate this because I don't, you know, I'm not one of these guys that says because he's this and this is bad, I, he sucks and I hate him. I mean, I get passionate and, you know, some stuff comes out, whatever. It is it's it is what it is. But at the end of the day, the reality is the way my mind works is these are good, good guys. He's a good right. – you're getting a good community guy, good player. He's, he's a guy that I'm sure, you know, will do plenty for that community where there's going to be fans that don't like him, but there's going to be the same effect in Green Bay. His off-the-field presence and the way he carries himself, he does his homework. He's in the film. He's a team player. Doesn't cause locker room issues. So, I mean, does he have some shortcomings that you're not sure about on the field? But he's not going to be the reason that you have all these other issues. He's not going to be a player that when things ain't going right, he's bitching and complaining and causing problems. He's just going to continue to do his job. He might not be the guy that tells everybody shut up, but he is definitely never going to be a part of your problem as far as you know, off the field. Yeah. It might be issues on the field. And, thing, but, <laughs> and, and I'm, you know, but, but, that's but, something to be said. Right. And I, I'd rather, you know, my, oh, I think it's hard to say this with any, any NFL fans. When you talk about your team, everybody wants the best possible talent, but there is some, there is some balance about what you get on the field. And then also what the guys in the locker room and a lot of those cliche things that you say about players. But I've always, I've always pulled for guys that are good locker room guys, good community guys. I'm always willing to give them a little bit more leeway as well, because I do think you can be slightly deficient at certain things on the field, but if you're helping other players in the locker room, if you're a smart guy when it comes to film study and maybe communicating with other guys, if you can help, if you can help players in the secondary or players in the linebacker room be more effective because they are more athletic, have better natural skill sets than you, but maybe don't see film as well. There's value to that too. Is it worth ten million a year? Maybe not. But I think the Giants were in that spot where you know getting getting an improvement marginally and also having a quality locker room guy, it, it, it's okay. You know, it's, and it's going to play itself out. But the other piece of that too is bringing in Fackrell and saying, "Here's a guy we brought him in, you know, for four and a half million for a one year deal." I don't over analyze it, over analyze him because it feels a lot like what we did with Marcus Golden last season. You bring a player in. Maybe you catch a little bit of lightning in a bottle, and I don't know if it's really, you know, I don't think it's leading to a long-term contract. This is more just a supplemental guy that can fill out our core. Is there anything really, you know, wor- worth noting? Fackrell reminds me. Fackrell reminds me. Uh, my comp to Fackrell is a guy that won the Super Bowl in 2010 with the Packers. Frank Zombo. Okay. And would you pay Frank Zombo four and a half million dollars? Probably right. not. Right. 
doesn't set the edge well, gets washed in the run game inside and outside. He's got athleticism. He's got bend, no secondary pass rush moves. He's got an okay first step, but he can get thrown around and punched by any ta- – I mean, and everybody says, well, he had that 10 and a half sacks. Go look at the stats. Six of those came against teams that their left tackle and right tackle were out, and they're back, they were like – and he got three sacks in two games, you know, to get six. Those other ones, four of them came where he wasn't blocked on like a, an RPO and they didn't get the ball out on time. Right. You know, like he does not generate sacks off of beating tackles and actually using pass rush moves. I hate to say the word luck into it, but that's kind of what he is. You can't have him on the field and base against the run on known run teams because he just doesn't have power, doesn't have strength, doesn't have the ability to set the edge. And his ability to find the ball, you know, when it's away from him, leaves a lot to be desired. I mean, Frank Zombo might have had a better career just because he still played. He played for a long time, but he ended up basically being a, a third-string rusher in emergency situations and really a really good special team player. And that's really what I see Kyle Fackrell at. Again, another player, way overpaid. And he got paid because he, he had a down year last year, but they're saying that's because you know, he wasn't a starter. And they're saying, well, he had started, he had 10 and a half sacks when he played starting roles. It's like, no, no, no. He was another one of these players I wanted off the team before the beginning of last year. I thought there was somebody else out there. They could have found even his rookie salary. That would have been, would have been better or at least get rid of him. So you're forced to give Rashawn Gary and let Rashawn Gary develop on the field. He's going to make mistakes, but what mistakes was he going to make that were worse than the results of having Kyler Fackrell on the field multiple times getting beat up. Yeah, and it, you know, it feels like a little bit similar to at least the idea of the way Giants fans look at Marcus Golden last year, where stats say 10 sacks. You go inside of it, he had a couple of games where he had multiple sacks against weak teams like Miami and like Washington, so some of those things get padded out. And, and it, there's always more to it than just the, the – like I said, we have these conversations with fans so much, and the, the – the amount of Giants fans that have been up in arms that we haven't bought back Marcus Golden. How could you let him? How could you let him go away? He's great off the edge. Ten sacks, ten sacks. But those numbers can be so inflated by what the players are doing in front of you, what the scheme is designed to accomplish. If it ends up being the net result of the defensive line locks up and the inside linebacker is engaging in the run game and it allows you to get free a couple of times, it ends up leading to you know some stats that maybe make you think you should have brought him back on a contract. But I, I mean. I don't know if, if, if Golden would have been a better option than Fackrell again back on a one-year deal. The four and a half million seems like a lot, and ultimately for the Giants, it feels like it's a a one-year stopgap thing. Get into the draft, see what we get, and if ultimately we end up with Fackrell's kind of a high-priced depth safety net for our defense, that would be the ideal scenario. I'm concerned that he actually ends up playing, you know, significant snaps for us, and that ends up being a detriment. Well, here's the problem, too, and this is what happens sometimes when you pull the trigger too quickly, and that's what happens when you have a new staff in and they're kind of gung-ho. If they had waited a few days, they would have gotten a much better player for around the same price that got released from the Chicago Bears, who's actually around the same age, in Leonard Floyd. Yep. And, and I'm sorry, but Leonard Floyd's just pure abilities – are at such a higher tier than Kyler Fackrell, regardless if you want to compare. Like, if I'm going to take a risk and spend money like that and take a risk on somebody, I would much rather be wrong about Leonard Floyd than be wrong about a guy that 
what has he done in his team that knows him the best didn't even offer him a vet minimum. Yeah. Like, and there's a reason for that because it's inflated number. It happens in free agency all the time, but that's kind of one of my rules when we're outside of the realm of absolute known talent that we know we can guarantee having something left in the tank and ability to everybody's overpaid in free agency, but at least you're going to get 90% of production for price. Because you're never going to get – okay, well, I shouldn't say that. The Packers did the I didn't follow the rainbow and fall in the pot of gold trick last year. And that doesn't – does that happen once in a generation, once in a lifetime, you know, anomaly, where you look at those numbers of Preston Smith, Zadarius Smith, and Adrian Amos, just the three defensive players outside of Billy Turner, and the return on investment for the amount of money they're – signed for and what they made versus their production especially with the smith brothers everybody thinks they're going to copy that again the packers kind of got lucky i hate to say that word but you're you're hoping for but two edge rushers the same age from the same draft class both being let go from their team and giving you like triple of what your investment what you're paying them on like come on like even as a packer guy like there's luck in that. Let's yeah. not be like everyone. Well, smart GM. Well, every GM tries to do that. That's what you're trying to do every year in free agency. He actually was right, but that's why it was smart for him not to chase that this year because then you're chasing your tail. It's not going to happen again, probably ever again in in Gunakun's GM tenure. Right. That was his thing. And so to chase that would be wasting time and and years of probably doing right right moves and making the right decisions based off of something that every GM wants to happen and tries to do. Let's be real. Yeah. So I, I'd love to do what's like we talked about last year uh, on the offensive side for the giants in the draft drafted Darius Slayton by the back end of the season, he starts to come on and it looks like, wow, Gettleman found a real, real diamond in the rough there in the fifth round. But when you drafted him at the time, the thought was, we're taking a shot on a player that you hope could develop into something. The fact that he shows it so you know that much sooner in his career is great, but there's nothing where you go, and that's why Gettleman's the the GM that he is. You know, he knew that he could steal this player in the fifth round. Anything, even for you know fourth round, fifth round, these are all guys that you're developing. You're hoping maybe they push somebody on your roster a little bit, and you get to identify elevating an area of your depth chart. But you know. It's exactly why I laugh about the whole situation with the Packers taking a tackle at 30 this year is because everybody says they don't need to take one high. This draft class is deep. They can get one in the fourth or fifth round. David Bakhtiari. Okay. David Bakhtiari's arms were about an inch and a half shorter than what they want tackles to be. And he was told you can't play tackle. You're not going to, you're too small. You're too, you're not strong enough in the run game. And guess what? Until about two years ago, he wasn't a real strong run blocker, but he ended up being one and he came in and I don't know. I don't know. Do you think David Bakhtiari's short arms or how about Brian Balaga that, that probably could have been a top 10 pick if his arms were an inch longer. Right. He's been pretty good, hasn't he? You know? And so like, again, those are anomalies and they were dumb mistakes made by scouting departments, knowing better than having an inch longer of an arm span does not make you a make or break you as a great football player. Otherwise every undersized player would never have a career like right, and no, so nobody under six fans foot trying to yeah everybody trying to chase the idea that well you don't need to attack that position because you found this guy again you can't chase anomalies 
Right. Like that's not going to happen a lot. How many other fifth round, fourth round tackles do we have on the team? You know, and they want to point to guards. Yeah, but guess what? The Packers, when they had that line uh, back in the day, you had Bakhtiari, Sitton, um, Scott Wells, TJ Lang, and Bulaga. Guess what they all had in common? They all played left tackle from high school through college and moved all <laughs> positions when they got to the NFL. Yep. Okay, so because there's a, there's an old thing that says if you want to have the the opportunity to have the most athletic and the strongest overall offensive line, why go draft a right guard to play right guard unless he's phenomenal and they're you know like unless he's unless he's Quentin Nelson you know or he's Elton Jenkins last year where he's just shown that he's just. Yeah, you could play left tackle, but he's just so dominant inside there. Like it's hard to find guys that good to play there, so you, you don't need him. But can he play left or right tackle? Sure. Right. Well, that's like you go back to the you know old old Giants with with Snee and Deal and O'Hare and some of these guys. Like you know, some lines get they get created out out of players that you didn't expect to get to that point, and their measurables were nowhere near what you would want them to be for some of the prototypical offensive line. And it's also probably why they talked about like, you know, Tristan Wirfs at the top end of this draft is, is to take a little look in that direction now too, is, you know, Tristan Wirfs, the guy where they're like, he could be a solid, he could be a solid tackle for you. But if you kick him into guard on a team, this guy will become one of the most dominant interior linemen that you've ever seen. So that's why I'm, I'm so curious to see what happens with him. Because like you said, do you want to be a proficient, or do you just want to keep drafting guys who have played at that level, maybe through high school and then college, and start to funnel them inside, and all of a sudden you get a five-man line made up of players that could do things well on the outside and can do things at the next level on the interior? You know, you guys as the, as the Packers, to pivot to the draft a little bit, you're never drafting very high because you're a good team. <laughs> you're a good franchise, and you guys are consistent. And you have – What's that? For now, yeah. Well, you know, and and, and there, maybe there's that fine line between being good enough to be making the playoffs versus you know, but are you good enough to win a championship? And that's always kind of that that great debate on a season to season. What would you rather see your team do? But when you guys come into this, you know, we're sitting there at four. It's should we be staying there and taking Simmons, taking an offensive tackle, trading back to get more assets because we've been picking in the top five for the last three years? Do you do you look at the Packers this year and say? sitting there at the back end of the first round, the draft overall, you have a pick in every round, letting the board just come to you guys and identifying a need and a player that fits? Do, or would you want to see the Packers move around a little bit? Or do you think that, you know, things are going to line up for you guys and you can just address whatever, if it's wide receiver, maybe an inside linebacker or cornerback, can you, ta- can you tackle those first, second, third round? Or do you want to package some things up and maybe look to target specific players? Again, it, it depends on your GM's philosophy. And, and what I have like to do is, and just to explain how I'm different than some other people, is I watch film, right, uh, just like everybody else. I look at stats probably less than other people because I don't believe so much in them to sway my opinions on things. So I try to stay away from, you know, diving into them too much unless I need to reiterate something. My big thing of how I really – try to pronosticate things and diagnose things is based off of history and finding the trends, right? Cause in everything there's trends, especially in business and outside of it being a sport, football is a business, 
it's an entertainment business. It's a, a athletic business, but it's a business and it runs in trends. And so for me, I look at what are the trends? Well, we have a new GM going into his third year. The trend used to be, we're probably going to trade back, end up with 14, 15. And out of those, we're probably going to end up with between 12 and 15 players because that's just how Ted Thompson was. Look at the trend of Gunakunst. He traded back, but in that same draft, he traded back because he was getting a future first-round pick. And then he was able to get that future first-round pick, and he moved up. He didn't move up three spots. He moved up 10, 12 spots from 30 to 18 and only gave up a fifth-round pick that he received in the trade back in the first place and still ends up with future capital. That's called being both Ted Thompson, what you see there, and also being where he originated his, his tenure from when he was young in the scouting under Ron Wolf. You, when you know and you are confident in the core of your roster, or let's say you're confident in, in beyond the core, you're super extremely confident in your core, but is expanded out to, let's say, your top 30 players, top 35 which is basically where the Packers are right now, given what happened last year. And you look at it, you got 10 picks this year. You look at what he's going to do. I don't see them walking away with more than six, seven players tops, which means is it in the first round trade up? Maybe not, but is there going to be trade ups probably in the second, third, fourth round likely because you can use back end capital fifth, six future force, you know, package with a couple of six to get up there and move from, you know, where you're at at 30 and get up in the top 15 to get that talent that you see falling, that you're not going to get there. Yes. Because what do they really need? They need a, a, a left tackle because Billy Wagner uh, or, you know, Wagner was not, uh, was not signed to replace Blaga. He was signed and look at his contract to be a replacement for Valdir who ended up wanting, probably wanting too much money because side note, people, Packer Nation, any Giants people that know Packers people, if Wagner got signed knowing he was going to be the guaranteed starter or at least a high chance of being the starter at right tackle and his agent was only able to get him $4.25 million, his agent is the worst agent in the world and he is, <laughs> no offense to Wagner, but one of the dumbest players to ever sign a contract because there is no other there's, – there's comparable players like in Arizona – Humphreys, I think, even though he's younger, is comparable in what he's available to do. I think he's making like, what, 12, 10, 12? Uh -huh. Wagner just got cut off a team where he's making 10 million. So if you think he's starting and he, you're going to have to at least give him eight. Yeah. So he signed that contract being told, if it doesn't fall right, you're going to be the starter. But we're going to draft somebody that basically we want him to be our starter. If you have to start for us. And so this is the, this is the deal. This is what we're going to pay you. This is what we were going to offer Valdir. If you're willing to take it, great. Or they're going to move on. He took it. But now everybody's like, oh, they're tackle set up. They're not. It's not. It's not why they're attacking it. Otherwise, they would have, you know, it's just, in my opinion, anyway. It's just yeah. not the way I see his, the way he builds it. Well, that's the way that, you know. I want them to go after a hybrid. I think that's the most likely. We, we say tackle and all this. I think this tackle class, you can probably trade up in the second round and get that tackle that you, you think can be a starter halfway through the season, you know, mm -hmm. give him a little extra time. Um, but I think the idea that they're really going to be able, unless something phenomenal happens and Queen or Murray slides, 
I still just don't think they're that interested in having two starting quality true inside middle linebackers. Patton plays a hybrid scheme with two down linemen. He likes to play that hybrid nickel dime uh, DB linebacker there. And so to me, going out and getting one of the top safeties and being able to move Adrian Amos into that position is more likely than them going out and trying to get a Patrick Queen or Murray. Just looking at how Petten wants what he was trying to do all last season, and he failed at it, but that's because he doesn't have the proper personnel, and that's why they went and got Kirksey. Kirksey is that, that solid traditional middle linebacker with sideline. His only issue is he's been injured. But you know what? This entire Packers team was injured until this new staff came in, and you did not. How many soft tissue injuries do you remember the Packers having this year? And then go back to years past. Clay Matthews, Randall Cobb, is everybody hamstring pull, arm pull, pec pull. Like they changed their trunking conditioning, and we didn't see. I don't think maybe a fifth of those those soft tissue injuries occurring this season. So maybe there's something to that. And ACL tears, wow, that's genetic, man. You can't control that. I walked down the stairs one day and tore my ACL. <laughs> and I consider myself to be at the same athletic level as anybody in the NFL. So when I pull a hamstring, you know, walking the dog or taking out the trash, I feel like I'm getting some of that NFL experience just in terms of what these players go through. It's the grind, you know. I'm not stretching as much as I should be, but I certainly uh, – I still got that, that, that quickness. I- I, the only thing I have in common at this point with NFL players is when I wake up in the morning and my back and knees don't want to allow me to get out of bed fast, <laughs> fast enough. That's, not, that's about as far as our commonalities go. So, Well, it's funny you talk about like you know the, the GM approach for the Green Bay Packers. It's one of the things that everyone talks about with Dave Gettleman, right? Historically, never traded down. has never traded back in a draft. So many people think that he should trade back. And I think more than anything, you know, it's fine to, to your point about once you make that trade back and then having the, the, the flexibility to then repackage, move back up, not really give up as many assets as you as you could have and get a quality player targeted, that's what I want to see Dave Gettleman do, it, it, you know, is be forward thinking, consider about how even though the Giants in a different spot than the Packers in terms of, you know, saying 30 to 35 quality players on the Packers roster now, Giants are probably more in the, you know, 20, maybe, maybe towards 25 range, but Knowing that you're not, you're not going to, first of all, we, we blew it by the Leonard Williams deal. Now all of a sudden we'll pick at the top of the second round and then wait until essentially the fourth with our compensatory third round pick before we pick again. So you're missing the meat of the draft now. You're not going to necessarily be able to target some of those, those quality edge rush players in the third that we desperately need. But I'd rather you look around the board and find a way. And you said about packaging up maybe fifth and sixth round picks. Giants have four seventh round picks. I know that those don't really move the needle a lot, but I am curious about whether or not the Giants try to look at the fifth round at four and say, we'll take that fifth round at four, we'll give you two seventh rounders just to move up, just to get into the middle of the fourth and maybe find that one extra player that we like. Or same thing, fourth, getting into the middle of the third potentially and giving up a sixth round pick. Even though the Giants have more needs, I'd like them to take the same approach that you're talking about, about saying, you know what I want to come out of this draft with? five, six quality players that I think can be contributors. We're still going to have to do it again next year in free agency and again next year in the draft. But 10, 10 warm bodies in the room aren't worth five legitimate players that can fill a need for you, even if it is a depth need at certain spots. That's more important. And I just I had that concern about the Giants where we stand pat all the time where we select and say, well, look, look at all the talent that we brought in. Right. 
But by the end of the day, two, three years from now, you're talking about what percentage of that has washed out of your out of your roster. And that's one of the reasons why the Giants have had such struggles. Our retention in our draft selections has been brutal. And you mentioned Floyd earlier. He's a guy that we could have taken back in his draft class. Now, did he pan out? Not necessarily. But the raw skill set and talent that some of these players have in saying we trust our facility, our team, to keep them healthy, to develop the skill set, that's what you want to see your team doing. And so far, the Giants haven't done that. I think it's one of the enviable traits about the Packers and how they've been able to develop their 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 draft picks. My concern is that the Giants don't look like the Packers, and we stay at four and you take that offensive tackle. And like to your point, you mentioned about a contract that you give to a right tackle. Well, we brought brought in Fleming, and immediately some Giants fans are like, oh, compete with Gates to see who starts at right tackle. But look at his contract. If you think that he's going to be the starting right tackle for the Giants, you are sorely mistaken. The Giants are going to look to bring in a player in this draft to develop and start at right tackle. You know you have Nate Soldier on the left side, but you don't need to take an offensive lineman at four. You can wait in the second round and get a player that, like you said, develop for half a season. Let him come along and see if he pushes a veteran out of their position. Trading back, even Simmons, what's your, I'm kind of jumping around here, but Simmons, what's your opinion on him? Because we sit there at the top of the draft and everyone says, oh, lock it in, just take Simmons and be happy with it. But I don't know, as good of an athlete as he is, as much as he's a Swiss Army skill. Why do you ask me that? Because I, I, I just look I at love this. I love this. Yeah, because you're bringing in a player that does some things really well, but I don't know if the value of picking him at four, is that better than trading back and getting a mid-first round plus a second and third and other assets? I love that you brought this topic up because this is one of the philosophies that I argued argue with people about all the time. And it's something that, again, might not be popular, but I found it to be right. And, and my question is to those people that said, you have to take Chase Young at two. You have to take this defensive player in the top five. You have to take them in the top ten. They're generational. And I answer to them, how'd that work out for the Texans? Right. How many championships have for that great edge rusher that's that's and he's phenomenal i'm not taking away his talent but how how many coaches is he and that that organization is a mess because the front office is trying to change and so you can take generational talent that's sure fired but is it it, what's the one thing that's i know is going to get me fired having a great team that's quarterback short right yep and and it's a lot harder to to find a, a, it's a lot, it takes a lot longer to build an entire team and then plug in a quarterback. Cause then guess what ends up happening? The top end of that talent, by the time you find and develop that quarterback is starting to either get it at contract time where they're starting to bloviate their salaries or they're starting to get, if they were already on the team and kind of getting to that veteran status, when you started to rebuild, to build other core on they're exiting at the end of their career as your young talent, you're trying to pair with them is finally ready to help them out. Right. Take a risk on quarterback. And everybody thinks I'm crazy. Explain to me then why the Packers went on in a run for eight straight years with the game they were in before this year. Go back and look. Halfway through the first quarter, Aaron Rodgers lost that game by 14 points, I think, or two scores. It was double digits. But the fact he was in that game and played over, well, 94% of it, his right guard, you know who he was playing? was LaTroy Guyon, their starting defensive tackle. Right. <laughs> and had, they, had Geronimo Allison not fumbled on third down when he was guaranteed points on the ground and got the ball punched out and had, had at the beginning of the game going into the end zone, had 
um, Ripkowski not fumbled, that was a 14-14 game, or at least a 14-10 game. And with uh, Again, and at that time, the guy that opened up the hole for him, LaTroy Guyon and Corey Lindsley. Right. They had Hunter they had playing corner. They had nobody le- – like, Clay Matthews was the only healthy one. The only healthy offensive lineman that was still playing on, the, on their line was Corey Lindsley. Bakhtiari was out, if you don't remember. Balaga was out. Both their starting guards were gone. In fact, their backup guard was gone. He was there's a defense, and yet Aaron Rodgers had them. They and they were remember they were four and six that year, and that was the famous. I think we're going to run the table. And he had nobody. Why? Because they had the quarterback. The rest of the team. It it mattered why he didn't win a championship because he didn't have the rest of the team. Right. Had he had a few other players, had they not taken 14 players in 2013 or 12 players in 2015 and packaged up and went and attacked some of the positions that were clearly of needs instead of just trying to fill the room with five bodies, hoping that one of those guys out of five bodies was going to make it instead of trying to get somebody that you had at least a 50-50 shot at going to get. What did that result in? Eight straight playoff runs. And and a one and three, you know, record in the in the championship game, where had he had the right talent around him, Aaron at his at that time he'd have three or four rings. I know that's I'm not trying to be arrogant, but he had the talent. He 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 showed you that he could do it with nobody. He could do it without offensive line in front of him for Christ's sakes. Right. And so, again, go ahead and draft Chase Young and let two go somewhere else. Go ahead, go ahead and decide that that Dalton, you you're gonna ride him for three more years, knowing that what he is, and and decide that Chase Young's generational, and you compare him with him, and see if those GMs in three or four years, when they're not doing well, and two or these other quarterbacks are at least getting their teams to playoffs, they won't have a job. Yeah, that generational defensive talent, in my opinion, and you guys got Daniel Jones, so you don't need a quarterback. So what's the point? Trade back. Try to get some – this is deep offensive linemen, deep wide receivers. You need wide receivers. You need offensive linemen. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of great talent in the defensive side of the ball in day two and day three that, you know, it might be a big gap. But, again, is Isaiah Simmons, if you put him in there in this year, in three years before his contract comes up, can you guarantee me that they're going to be able to build a team around Isaiah Simmons and you guys are going to win a ring? If you can't give me at least a 60% shot of it as a GM, why is it worth it to me? Try to explain it to me. What is it, How many points is that guy going to score? How many times have we seen quarterbacks be able to win games 52-48? Yeah. And, and Patrick Mahomes, he was behind yeah. in every playoff game this year because his defense failed him. And they say, well, the defense stepped up. Nah, or was it that he scored 28 points in less than five minutes? <laughs> right. Well, and that's, you know, it's so funny, too, because I think Aaron Rodgers, he's done enough in his career that everybody acknowledges how great he is. And you sometimes miss those little caveats of of what the roster just slightly lacked so that it wasn't just that, well, Aaron Rodgers is the quarterback that, you know, makes deep playoff runs but doesn't quite get over the hump in these last handful of years versus he's a guy that should be getting the Super Bowls if it was a little bit better around him. I would never, actually, I'm not going to say it like that, but. I know that most would, if you compare Eli Manning to Aaron Rodgers, well, Aaron Rodgers is the better quarterback, right? But when you go back and think about it, and this is why I always get so frustrated, and I spent the last couple of years not defending what Eli Manning was the last couple of years, but I was defending what the Giants did to him. 
and how you spent the last handful of seasons rather than surrounding with talents, like going back, taking Odell Beckham Jr. Is that fantastic? Is it a sexy pick? You better believe it. But everybody knows that number one wide receivers don't equal championships. You know, you go out and you make some of these moves in those early rounds. And rather than building up, and the weirdest part being that if you're a Giants fan, you're in the organization, you saw what you did. You built a really strong, stout defense. You had a respectable offensive line. and You won two championships over a four-year span. So the fact that you were unable to do that over the next almost decade to be able to get back to that same position and you somehow philosophically had something burn out in your brain that you didn't realize quality bodies in the meat of a draft help fill out your roster and put you in a good enough position where you say, what do I need for Eli Manning? I need to get him a chance to be in the playoffs, to have an opportunity to go on a run for us. But we're not able or capable or reasonable enough to think that in these draft classes, target four or five bodies in the meat of the rounds, make those trade backs from the top of the draft. Obviously, I can look now and say Saquon Barkley. Well, he's an incredible talent. Of course he's an incredible talent. But I also can say that they, that they have He'll had three be used wins. up before Daniel Jones has gotten to the level to carry the team. Yeah, three wins. Which was why wins. they should have traded back. Yeah. Or take Quentin Nelson. Who we could have drafted, by you the know? way. Why not? <laughs> well, yeah, I'm saying that. Like, like, and, and again, so, wow, that's it's a waste. And and this is where I get into the argument with the, uh, uh, this whole idea that, well, I'm going to look at the adjusted and the DVOA and the impact versus snaps percentages and and that those numbers tell you to all kinds of wrong stuff. They tell you that the value on offensive and defensive linemen, they tell you the value of a left tackle isn't as great as a wide receiver, isn't as great as an edge rusher, or isn't as great as somebody that can come. Are you crazy? Right. If, if that's the case, then, then ask me why the year before Baker Mayfield looked like he was developing great. And they decided they didn't need we- they needed weapons for him to continue to take that next level to be be less Brett Favre and more Aaron Rodgers. And so what did what did they do? They they took their their one and best, the only All Pro offensive lineman they've had since Joe Thomas, and they traded him away to get Odell Beckham Jr. And now everybody thinks Baker Mayfield's a bust. But tell me, the guard's not worth it. Right. It doesn't, if that one player doesn't matter. What's the number? And, and here's the funny thing is this is the funny philosophy. I, I, I love, I listen to everybody because I, I, you know, I'm still learning football for God's sakes. It's like my profession cooking. I'm never going to stop learning new, new techniques, new recipes or new ways to make the recipes. I know better. I'm never going to stop learning new things about football that make me football mine. Okay. Just isn't, but I go back to a lot of things you, you, the, the game starts at the line of scrimmage. Uh, a quarterback would rather be able to sense the pressure coming from the edge, and because his tackles can run him wide, when pressure comes from the edge, quarterbacks have the ability to, A, step up in the pocket if the middle of their line is, which is the natural thing they're supposed to do, or if in the case of like an Aaron Rodgers, even if there's some pressure being given up by the middle, if your tackles are doing their jobs, you have right and left, left exit holes set up for you by your tackles. What's the one thing that every quarterback hates, mobile or not? Pressure straight up the middle. Yeah. Yep. And what is everybody doing now? Kenny Clark, Aaron Donald, your Sheldon Richardson. We're going to find guys that can rush, that not only can hold the point and be effective run stuffers, but we're not just going to go out and look for 350 pound mountains like, you know, you know, like back in the day that just 
it's hard to get move them, but they're not penetrating. But it's hard to move, and they they can stuff two gaps, and it makes it difficult to run inside. That that is gone now because now it's about affecting the quarterback, and so you have to. And so now centers and guards are more effective. Therefore, drafting one if you're at two, if and look at what Quentin Nelson was, yeah. all pro rookie year, borderline all pro this year. And unless he gets injured, he's only going to get better. Yep. Now, do you think that is that more worth it now? Now that you're trying to develop a quarterback, or was it worth the second overall pick to get a generational talented running back? That what have you missed the playoffs the last two years? Great, you know. And and and, and the thing is too is it's it's not sexy, right? The things that the, the, the non-sexy picks are the ones that pay off in the long run. And that's unfortunately what I feel like a lot of fan bases, you always want it. The pro football focus uh, mock draft that they came out with where they made the argument the best thing for the New York Giants is to take a wide receiver at number four overall because you don't know what you have in Daniel Jones unless you give him weapons around him. And the idea – from a giant, the fact that you the fact that you want to go back down a road that you went down once before with your last franchise quarterback, where you got in this crazy weapon and the team still lost because you had no offensive line and you didn't give him time to be able to, you know, Eli Manning won playoff games and won Super Bowls with a Monty Tumor with Steve Smith on a rookie contract coming off rookie as rookie season coming off of an injury, and you're able to go on these deep playoff runs with Mario Manningham, who went on to be. Nothing else anywhere else in the league with Kevin Boss replacing an injured Jeremy Shockey in a playoff run where he had a, you know, a standard lumbering white guy in the middle of the field. And he made a couple of key catches, got the job done. David Tyree, all of these players were able to look the way they looked on the offensive side of the ball and make those plays because you gave your quarterback enough time. And to your point, specifically about that step up in the in the pocket ability to be able to just have that extra half a second to assess that secondary route and make those kind of throws. And, and the, the fact that people sometimes seem to just disconnect, I get it. Well, you know, once they with Saquon and Barkley got drafted, I still get lost in it where I'm like, oh, my God, look at the size of this guy's thighs. Can you believe it? Now he's going into year generational. Yeah. But now you're in year three. Exactly. Generation tag him with that generational. Now he's going to year three, but he's already getting paid a pretty substantial contract because you drafted him so high. And then when the next big contract comes up, are you going to do what the Cowboys ended up doing? giving Ezekiel Elliott substantial money? And then you almost pigeonhole yourself into a really difficult scenario where However you feel about Dak Prescott, but now you're, you're tethered between what am I going to do with Dak Prescott? And I still want to bring back Amari Cooper, and I need to figure out these needs. And you're going to start to see over these next couple of years how their offensive line may start to deteriorate for them because they were unable to ever quite crest it. You can say that, oh, now we need to get these weapons, and you know, we need to have weapons, need to have that big receiver. But the reality is, okay, you didn't get there. But the fact that you had a top five offensive line every year for the last five, six years, that's something that hang your hat on it every time. The fact that you're <laughs> for me, and this is just in division where I go, Jerry Jones, you guys just can't seem to figure out the other nuts and bolts around your roster, but you were still doing the right thing in the trenches year year after year. So uh, I'm so curious. Well, and yeah. To that point too, it's last year and I'm rehashing this with it with people much smarter than myself that get actually paid to do this. And I still have this argument with them. They are still going back and trying to tell me that Elton Jenkins pick was still a mistake, given that that even after knowing what we know about him, that he really got snubbed from both the Pro Bowl, from Rookie of the Year, and from being an All-Pro. He was rated as a top three overall offensive lineman. He was the best interior lineman, and uh, better than Quentin Nelson as far as total pressure. He gave up zero sacks. Zero. (laughs) But it was a mistake. 
but it was a mistake because they could have drafted AJ Brown. They could have drafted this receiver. They could have drafted greedy Williams. And those positions have a higher DVOA and efficiency rate and this percentage. And we'll throw the numbers out and everything else. They say, well, look at week one and we all, and Aaron was running for his life. The beginning of week two, he was having problems in, in Minnesota. And suddenly Lane Taylor got injured. I'm going to quote that. He got injured. (laughs) And the first play that that mistake lineman came in, he took a former Pro Bowl Linville Joseph and drove him into the end zone five yards. His first snap as a pro starting in the game, and they score. And it it never looked back, but that's a mistake because Aaron Rodgers can move. He, He didn't know, but do you know why he got hurt? In 2000, that first game of 2018 where he got sandwiched mm. because Lane Taylor couldn't hold up against Hakeem Hicks, even with one arm. He was right. getting pushed right into Aaron Rodgers right off the snap over and over again in that game. In fact, Lane Taylor was the lineman that landed on Rodgers to make him land awkwardly so when the defensive lineman came down on him, it messed up his knee because he got pushed in his face. And that same game, week one, the first series, the first three plays, snap one was a sack. He got pushed over. The second one, they tried to run a little screen, and he got he got pushed over and then outran. And then the third play was a third down play and another sack, and they had to punt, and he, they came right through. Aaron had no time. The route combination hadn't even gotten past 10 yards. It, yeah. It's important to have linemen. It just is. Well, and by the, and by the way, we, we could we – could, uh, this conversation could go on for hours, as you, as you can oh, tell. Yeah. But we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll wrap it up here, and hopefully this will be the first of just a number of times that we can get together and just kind of talk shop like this. Uh, Zeitler, who the Giants got from the Cleveland Browns in, as a part of those package of trades that they made, he was our best-rated offensive lineman. Our most effective runs were to the right side of the offensive line. Daniel Jones had the most time, was able to move effectively to that side of the pocket. You know, All of those little statistical categories that nobody wants to dive into, I mean, general fans don't want to dive into, go look at those numbers. And guess what we get to go and do with this year? knowing that our right guard is 100% locked in, and we know that we have a quality player there going into the season. So looking past those things is always an oddity to me. I hope the Giants make some of the right decisions this upcoming draft, and it's going to be interesting to see how they go. Um, The last thing I'll ask you about, and this is a completely just – this is about as nonsensical as you could probably get given where we've come from. Uh, I had gotten into it a little bit on Twitter with one of the Giants guys, uh, Paul Dottino, I threw it out there very loosely. I was just, you know, just thinking, just thinking in strands. Who needs a tight end around the league? Green Bay Packers. Who has a tight end that maybe has been injured and, you know, wouldn't mind possibly moving on from before his rookie contract is up? Evan Ingram, and I'll put it in the context of 100% healthy. Let's say he's healthy to start the year and he's he's playing effectively, but we look at him as saying we're not going to bring him back on his next contract. Would you, you as as a Packers fan or the Packers organization, what is the pick or what is the value that you would place on getting a tight end like that in the door for Aaron Rodgers to maybe be potentially that little extra piece that pushes you guys over the top from an offensive perspective so that you can make that extra push at the end of the if, season, make that extra push in the playoffs? If, if I'm the Packers this year, it's going to be – my offer would be probably more of a futures pick mm-hmm. because what I'm looking with with Ingram is the health has to be a factor. And then I look at his skill set and I look at the tight ends. I don't see a lot of tight ends, no tight ends, first round quality this year. I can't, I I start to, 
be able to make an argument that you're getting quality for, for pick somewhere in the back end of the second. Most of these guys are third round day two, day three guys, and you're going to get steals. You're going to end up with steals, but that's just, and their skill set. A lot of them are those tweener types. There's very few that you can feel real great about in a blocking scheme. And that, and the, and that's the problem is if this was last year, Ingram's, uh, even though there was higher up end guys, we had first round talent. Sternberger was the next guy, and he went in the in the late third round. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and so I think his value as far as getting a a draft pick in that draft would have been much higher than looking at it this year because you're not going to give up a first or second for him, in my opinion. Oh, well, because yeah. of the injury history. Oh, and by the way, so you're starting to look. You're starting to look at a third as the highest, and then you're starting to look at, okay, if I'm going to give up a third, what kind of a tight end player can I get mm-hmm. there? And that's going to be a where the opinions start to probably vary it, it, from the way I look at it anyway. Well, that's the, the debate that I've had with Andy on the podcast because he, he loves him, and I, I like his skill set, but again, it's the injuries and also just you're, you're rebooting this team a little bit. He's never quite gotten there, and I think if you plugged him in with an Aaron Rodgers at his, this point in the career in that team, you could see him have one of his best, you know, one of his best seasons and all the Giants fans would say, look what we gave up, but it's about, you know, where your team is right now. Andy has said time and time again, he's like, oh, you know, second round or like, maybe I would consider it. Uh, and I had started, I, I was like, <laughs> you said like third is where you start to go. The, the thought that I had thrown out there on, on Twitter was four and a six, you know, fourth and a sixth round pick some, ba- you know, you get a couple of picks out of it. You're not risking your top three rounds. If, if I could get that off of the Packers, and if you would say healthy coming into this draft right now, you know, he's healthy and ready to go. You say, you want to throw me a four and a six to get, to get Evan Ingram into your team. I would sign off on that immediately. And I know that a lot of fans, and a lot of people around it don't think that that's insane. And you got to wait and see where could Evan Ingram be for you. But again, that's we're not, a four. With- I'm going to tell you that Adam, that's not insanely how GMs work. There, there are always there. It's, it's a buy. It's again, this comes down to a business. This. this isn't Madden where you just throw out a thing and the algorithm decides whether or not, you know, it's acceptable or not. And sometimes you're getting crazy trades and other times it's like that. That should, this isn't a video game. It's life and it's, mm-hmm. it's your trading assets. And here's the other thing. A lot of people forget since that CBA was signed and it's continued on in this CBA. And, and it was a thing that was, it's been around a lot, time, a lot longer, but it's, it's really used widely now. And really uh, every GM, has it and really utilizes it. And it's how the league assesses whether a trade could get vetoed because people can veto trades if they feel like somebody's getting hosed. And the NFL really monitors it because of what happened with the Cowboys and the Vikings back when first, you know, when uh, Jimmy Johnson showed up, right. Totally raped the Vikings with all those draft picks and built a Super Bowl winning team that should have never happened with the way you had to draft and develop and free agency and stuff. Right. So then it's been more prominent. There are amount of points for each round of the draft in which in, in each pick in which you have, you know, a fourth round pick just to, let's say around a first round, first overall pick is worth, let's say 500 points. Whereas the 32nd pick is worth 475 points. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, and so when you're assessing these picks, the players don't have a value to them. That's on the GM. But if I'm going to trade for a bunch of picks, I want a third round pick it's worth, you know, 275 points. I have to package enough picks together, you know, to get, it doesn't have to be exact. 
and it could go over, it can be under, but it's got to be within a reasonable realm of the point system, you know, and that's kind of how it goes. So it might sound crazy to say, well, I'm going to give up a future fourth, a fifth this year and, and two sixths this year. And everybody's like, well, why didn't you give up a second? You should have got a second. Well, it's the same, it, it, the point total of the value of the total package of picks they look at is the same. Right. It's not, and that's the way the GMs and front offices uh, assess it. Unless they believe that there's some super talent there that they got, well, in case they wouldn't be trading back, you know, like. Right. And everything is. And so people value. need to understand that. Yeah. Right. Everything is that. And what can I turn those assets into at some point? Yeah. You know, I think everybody does. I fall to pray to it as well. Of, that, 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 that thing of what I want to know what I have right now, but if you're a GM and you're doing it right, you always have to be thinking about a couple of years from now, when the, when some contracts come up, am I going to have the availability of assets or cap room or all these things to be able to address needs and continue to roll this thing forward? Unfortunately, the Packers have done a little bit better job <laughs> over the last handful of years than the Giants, but uh, ho- hopefully the Giants start to get back on tra- track here a little bit. Uh, that, that's it, man. I just wanted vindication, and, and thankfully, I got it. From, I got it from you here. So I'm going to go right back to Twitter and really get into uh, into some people's faces about this now. And I'll, I'll hang my hat on Jay Andrews told me from the from the from the first and goal podcast that that I had it all figured hey, out. It's not not just and, and hey, if you want to follow me, hit me up on the internet. Hit me up on both my shows. I'm at UPJ33. I work for the Brawl Network. We are at uh, all. You can. Visit the Brawl Network website at thebrawlnetwork.com. Go there, sign up for free. All kinds of content from all kinds of sports, mainly football right now, but you know, as it grows, it will get more. Great place to go, great group of guys. And also, my reboot of my original podcast, At First and Goal Pod, covering the entire NFL. You know, that's where we hooked up on. And uh, so, you want to check out that? That'll be out on Wednesdays too. But well, I appreciate you having me on. And hey, it was a lot of fun. I want to come back and talk some more, man. And I'm I'm a guy that hey, you want to talk Packers, we can talk Packers. But you want to have him come on and get an opinion. I, I I love football, especially now. It's all I'm doing, man. <laughs> it's all most people are doing. We're stuck in, so I can talk football all day, any day, any day of the week. So I'm glad to to hook up with you. And it was nice to meet you, Adam. You got a great thing going here, and uh, and I, I look forward to talking with you again. All right, that was Jay Andrews of the First and Gold Podcast. All those other great spots that you can check out his work. Just an awesome conversation. As always, we remind you to follow the One Giant Podcast on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and head over to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts fulfilled. Download, rate, review, and subscribe. And as Andy Makowitz would say, let's go Big Blue.